Man, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy this morning. Again, thank you for being here for the 8 a.m. service. We know all the real saved people come to the 8 a.m. service. Amen. And, and we always say, all those pagans in the 1015, okay? Uh, we always say that uh, coming to the 8 a.m. service is the shortest mission trip that you will ever take. What's that, Scott? Okay, shh. All right, and so we're just so excited and grateful to be here this morning. Thank you so much for being here. You know, my sermon title is actually Blueprint, but this little sermon series that we're going to be doing is called uh, Family Fixer Upper. I just got to confess, isn't that the cheesiest preacher title thing? It's hard coming up with sermon titles and titles for sermons. The last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, I preached about baptism. And so my sermon title was Baptism. And then uh, last Sunday, we really preached on the doctrine of the church. So my sermon title was what? Church. So I thought I'd spice it up a little bit this week, okay? And give y'all a cheesy preacher sermon. Family fixer up. And we're going to be talking about the family. Of course, I can't help but think about Chip and Joanna Gaines, uh, you know, fixer up. Or anybody ever watch that show? Fam right? Some of you, yeah. And so, uh, not me, because I'm a man. No, I'm kidding. Alicia loved that show, and she would have it on. All, every time you walked in, it seemed like it was on the TV. Which channel does it come on? Home and Garden or something. And they, they run them 24 hours a day. And you know the story. They come in and they give a, a couple or whoever like three houses to choose from. And they choose one of the houses. And then Joanna goes in and does her magic. Amen. And just makes it look amazing. And they completely redo it. And she just has a vision for those things, right? And, and in one hour, you get this unbelievable makeover of the home that's just the, the house is incredible. I don't even know how she does it, right? I mean, how many different ways can you use shiplap? Amen? I, don't, I didn't even know that was a thing. And now, whenever I go to somebody else's house, and they're talking about, well, we're going to remodel the kitchen, and I'll be like, you thought about putting some shiplap up here? And I just say it like I know, you know, they're like, that would look good, wouldn't it? I'm like, yeah, shiplap, right? And we're, and we're thinking about putting some new flooring down. Have you thought about shiplap? Amen? I don't think that's where it goes. But when it comes to renovating uh, and changing a house, there's something important to understand as we're going to zero in on the family. And the reason why we're going to zero in the family is everything we're talking about this morning applies to every man, woman, boy and girl, believer in Christ Jesus. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a widow or a widower, whether you have children, grandchildren, or great-great-grandchildren, okay, this applies to you. Now write this down real quick as we get started. You've heard this before. People can change a house, but only God can change a home. And that's what we want. Uh, we, as we look around at our country today, we just kind of see that many of our homes are desperately in need of a makeover. Whether it's just a husband and a wife, or if it's a family or whatever, we need a makeover. Look at this next slide. In 1947, a, a sociologist at Harvard wrote this book, uh, his name was Carl Zimmerman, by the way, Family and Civilization. And basically, the whole concept of that book is that it's really interesting. You should read it. He goes all the way back and throughout civilization, and he traces culture and society and the family. And he parallels the two. And what he says is this, that whenever the family unit, whenever the family unit is thriving and together and the family is strong, the culture is strong and the country is strong. He got, and he, can, he just shows it throughout different civilizations, the, the Roman era and the Greek era and different things. When the family is strong, culture is strong, and the country is strong. 
And he says that when a family and a culture are in decline, he says you'll see some of these things. Uh, he said quick, easy, no-fault divorces, increasing divorce rates, elimination of the real meaning of marriage, uh, a promotion of cohabitation, increased public disrespect for parents and parenthood, the breakdown of most inhibitions against adultery, common acceptance of all forms of sexual perversions. Now, he wrote this book in 1944. That sounds a lot like us you know, today. And so if you're going to even Joanna, you know, when she sits down with those families and she's like, here's the house and here's what we're going to do. And she has that little computer program. She makes everything look so amazing. She begins with the blueprint. That's where you start with the blueprint. And so in any remodel uh, project, that's the truth. And the same thing goes with the family. If our family is dysfunctional, if things aren't working on the family level, they're not going to work at any level. When the men, when we went to the uh, men's conference over at Bellevue and Dr. Tony Evans was speaking, he talked about this, this very thing. And I won't get it just like he said it because it would take 15 minutes to say it. And so, because, I mean, Tony Evans can make the, you know, the newspaper sound really interesting, okay? And so uh, he said this, he said that when a man is, I'm going to use my words, when a man is jacked up, right, he's on, the family's going to be messed up. And when the family's messed up, they're going to go to a church, they're going to make that church messed up. And when the church is messed up, it's going to mess up the community. And when the community's messed up, that's going to affect the city or the county. And if the county's messed up, that's going to affect the state. And when the state's all jacked up, it's going to affect the whole country. You see how these things are connected. They run together. And so what you have to have sometimes is some demolition, throwing away some things that you don't need and keep the things that actually work. Walls have to be torn down. Debris has to be removed. Items that are worn out or no longer of any value have to be done away with to make room for things that really are valuable. And the same thing is true of your home, your family, whether you're single, married, whatever the situation is. The Bible is God's blueprint how to fix the family. The home was God's idea. It was a good idea. And God made the family the cornerstone of society. And all the way back in the beginning of the human race, uh, the Bible says this. Look in your notes at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and verse 24. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper comparable to him. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. From the very beginning of time, God created us to be relational beings. And the primary earthly relationship is the family, the, re the relationship of a husband and a wife, brother and sisters, siblings. Politicians talk a lot about Social Security. Now, I'm one of those, and I'm just so skeptical, I guess, and cynical. I don't think I'm ever going to see Social Security when it comes my time, okay, because I'm only 25. <laughs> long, that's a long time from now, right? Amen? Alicia? And so, now I, don't, I, don't, I really don't see how it can sustain itself another 20, 30, 40 years. I, I just don't see it. And so, but when uh, God said, in God's word, when we talk about this idea of Social Security, it's not found in a monthly check. It's found in a loving, healthy home. Ronald Reagan once said this. He said, we fear that government may be powerful enough to destroy families, but we know that it's not powerful enough to replace families. And so the truth is, nothing can replace the home. Nothing can replace the family. Government services cannot replace a mother's love or a father's love. Social services cannot uh, replace the love that uh, siblings can have for each other. And small groups and Sunday school classes cannot replace the love that a family unit has in the home. Now, Moses knew that. 
And Moses, in our text, he's preparing the nation of Israel to go into the promised land. And so this is kind of uh, the last thing he's going to talk about. He wants to make sure that Israel, as they become a nation, go into the promised land, they're going to build one nation under God. And this is his final thing. This is the last thing he's going to be saying, uh, this section, to the church. This is his farewell address, his swan song, the main topic of discussion. The last thing he's going to talk about, the family, the home. This is what's important. God had given Moses the blueprint for a happy family. The stronger the family, the stronger the church, the stronger the community, the stronger the state, the stronger the nation, the stronger the world. Knowing that when the family is secured, the nation is secure. So Moses gives us the blueprint. Look in your uh, Bible at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse number 1. And again, Moses is talking primarily to the parents. He says, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Now, the blueprint for the family begins with the parents. A nation will never rise above the family. A country will never rise above the status of the family unit. So parents, write this down. But again, this is for everybody. Number one, I want you to understand that parents are models. And God's word shows us clearly that parents are to be example setters. The one thing I learned many times the hard way, I'm going to be honest. Look at this next slide. Character often is not taught, it's caught, right? Character is not what you preach to your children. It's what you teach your children by the way you live and by the way you flap your gums. Amen. Many times the words you say will come back uh, to get you, right? I talked about it. We talked about profanity uh, Super Bowl Sunday, and it was, it, we just talked about the whole thing about taking God's name in vain. It was awesome. Uh, you weren't here because you pagans were watching Super Bowl. But anyway, I'm kidding. I watched it too. DVR, baby. Start from beginning. And it was boring. Anyway, that has nothing to do with it. And so, uh, but we talked about profanity. And many times I talked about using substitutionary curse words. Dang it right? And it seems fine until your five-year-old looks at you and goes, dang it. And then you go, I've got to cut that out. I don't like it. Listen, character is not taught to your children. It is caught by them. How we live screams so loudly, many times they can't hear what we say. And I'll say this over and over. I always say it when we're preaching on the family. You, and when it comes to children, you don't get what you want. Usually you get what you are. When it comes to children, you don't usually get what you want them to be. You get what you are. They're a reflection of you. Not all the time. Most of the time as a principle, it's true. If your attitude towards your child is don't do as I do, do as I say, you are headed to failure. And let me say particularly to fathers and grandfathers, there's no substitute for father who shows his child by the way that he lives, by the language that he uses, by the places that he goes, by the priorities he sets for his family, by the things that he watches, the things that he reads, that he fears the Lord. As my kids have been growing up, I don't mind telling you there are many times I have failed I, in the area of setting an example. You ever just lost, just, just flat-footed, lost your temper in front of your kids? Right? Some of y'all are like, no, I've never done that. Yes, you have. Right? So just like all of us, we all have our own failures, our own flaws, our own faults, 
And I've had my own character, def character defects. But there's two areas that I've been particularly sensitive to ever since we've had children and that God has really put on my heart. There's two things that I wanted my children never to witness. One of them was uh, their father drinking alcohol. The second one was taking God's name in vain. And, and it's pretty simple. I'm not going to preach on drinking today. I could, but I'm not going. That's not what I'm talking about. Reason for me was very practical, not even biblical or theological. It was just practical. I thought to myself, what kind of life do I want my children to live? I better start living it. What kind of life? Because in my neighborhood, everybody started drinking when they was about 12, 13 years old. Now, I'm sure, not on your side of the tracks, I saw 12-year-olds stumbling drunk. When I, now, those 12-year-olds that were stumbling drunk, many of them went on to smoke pot, pop pills, cook meth, and go to prison. I've seen it. Now, if you don't believe that it happens, just talk to your local law enforcement officer. Nobody starts out a crackhead. They get there, and the way they get there, it starts out with beverage alcohol, and we progress. Now, you're like, preacher, you're talking about my drink? I'm talking about your drink. I'm talking about the Kellys. As for me and my house, we didn't want to raise any crackheads, and so we just didn't do it. I decided, it is, what is the ideal thing for my children? If I don't drink, teach them abstinence, they will never be an alcoholic. They'll never, you understand? What's the perfect situation I want for my children? That's who I need to be. So I decided they're just never going to see that. We're not going to do it. I didn't just hide it from them, by the way. I, we didn't drink. And so I, I'm not going to drink in front of my kids because I don't want them to grow up drinking, and I don't want them to grow up drinking and smoke dope and pop pills and cook meth. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's all. Not even, I didn't even quote the Bible. I'm just talking practical. And then the second thing was, which is theological, is the idea of taking God's name in vain. I knew that if I disrespected God's name, my children would grow up to disrespect my name. I knew that if I took God's name so lightly that I would use it as a cuss word, that my children would take our family name so lightly that I would be ashamed. Right? And I wanted them to know that I love God and that I feared God. The reason why parents should model a healthy biblical fear of God and a worship of God is not for you. It's like that verse says, for your children and your grandchildren. Say, I don't know about you. When I think about my family, when I look at my kids, I see my grandbabies. That's what I see. They don't see any, but I see them. And that's who I'm praying for. I'm thinking about my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. That's why I want to give them a sober mama who doesn't take God's name in vain. It's the truth. Moses said this in one chapter, chapter earlier, Deuteronomy 5.29. He says, oh, that they had such a heart. In the oh, this is good. Y'all, I'm sick today, but this is good. Listen. It's all oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments. God said, oh, if they only loved me that much. Oh, if they only knew who I was and they would keep my commandments and they would fear me, right? That it might be well with them. What? And with their children. How long? Forever. Woo. Today, I'm preaching for my great, great, great grandchildren. A generational view that God will bless you know that basketball player years ago, Charles Barkley? You know who Charles Barkley is? You remember that commercial, that Nike commercial he did? I ain't no role model. I'm not a role model. Well, you know he was. And parents, whether you like it or not, you are too. The only question is, are we good ones or bad ones? And right in the middle of talking to parents, Moses almost interrupts himself. Go back to your Bible, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. He says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And right there, he's just talking about a couple of basic things that parents need to teach their children. And write this down. The first one is this. It's just the reality of God. Now, I hope that you would do that. 
that you wouldn't live life as if God doesn't exist, that your children understand the reality of their heavenly Father. I'm sure you do. But where many of us miss the boat is the second one. Write this down. To love God. To love God. It's not enough just to teach your children there is a God and God is real. You need to, you parents, you must teach your children how to have a relationship with them. That's why we have to teach them to love God. And what does that mean? Number two, write this down. It means we're mirrors, man. We're mirrors. That goes back to some of the things that I didn't want to have in my life and in my family because I realized that was a reflection to my children. I wanted better for them than the alcoholic home that I grew up in. Does that make sense? Who doesn't want better for their children? Parents are mirrors, by the way. We live, talk, walk, the actions and our deeds. In our home, we're to be showing and teaching our kids what it means to love God. Look, look at this next slide. Even in your marriage relationship, the scripture teaches us that it's a, a, a mirror of the relationship between Christ and the church. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for Husbands and wives, your faithfulness in marriage is to reflect the faithfulness of God on you. Husbands and wives, your love for each other should reflect the love that God has for you. Your forgiveness of each other should reflect the forgiveness that God has shown you. Now, I'm going to answer a difficult question with an even harder answer. Do you know why so many church-going parents, and it's not always, not, it's not always some of the best Christians, most godly people I ever met had prodigal children. It happens, okay? It happens. And, just, and so, but not all the time, but why is it so many church people churn out children who turn around and forsake the church and they forsake Christianity? I believe it's because many people don't know the difference between going to church and loving God, right? They don't know the difference. They don't understand. They're not reflecting that. Let me explain. In the early days of diseases, when they first started inoculations, what would they do? They'd give you a little bit of that disease so that you could build up a resistance to it. So by having a little bit, your body could react to it and build up some resistance. So when the real thing showed up, you wouldn't get it, right? Now that's how the inoculations worked when they first started it. Some parents are giving their children just enough of church, just enough of religion, just enough of going to church, not really loving God with any kind of passion at all, but just going to church. And what happens is their kids have just enough to be immune to it. They've seen it. They've experienced it, but they don't really understand the real thing. They watch their parents go to church, and they watch them go through religious moments. Just religious moments. I'll give you one right here. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul. Savior. <laughs> I mean, if you can't sing that song with passion, you don't have it. That's a good song. Ain't that a good song, though, by the way? Well, I don't sing. The Bible says you do. I mean, you know, your argument's not with me. Your argument's with the Bible. Then sings my soul. I sing. <laughs> 8 a.m., sir. All right, it's 8 a.m. I cut you some slack, Okay. But the children never see, I'm not saying to rip your coat off, swing it over your head, and jump in the baptistry, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But when it's real, it shows, and it'll show during worship. I believe that with all of my heart. Many kids don't see a passionate love for God, all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Again, look at Deuteronomy 6. That word's uh, repeated three times. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, 
all your strength. There's nothing more dangerous than for children to grow up living with parents who are half-hearted about their relationship with God because they get inoculated. They think that's what it's all about, and they don't want anything to do with it. I don't only want my kids to love God. I want my grandbabies to love God. Y'all pray for my grandchildren. I do. And if my children can't say they saw the love of God in their father, how are they going to hand that down to the next generation? What they're seeing, when I don't love God the way that I should, they're looking at a cracked mirror, and everything's distorted. I heard about a Sunday school teacher one time was teaching a little boy's Sunday school class about the love of God, and he asked the little boys, they're all lined up in the class in their little chairs, six years old. He goes, why do you love God? And all the little boys gave an answer. Oh, I love God because I got a pony. You know, all the cute little answers that little boys give, and, and some of them gave the good Sunday school answers, right? Well, why do you love God? Well, because Jesus died for me, right? And so it just goes down the list. Got the last little boy. Johnny, why do you love God? He said, well, Mr. Smith, I don't know why I love God. I guess it just runs in my family. Listen, I hope it just runs in my family. Amen? Parents, it doesn't matter what else you give your children. If you don't give them a real love for God, you have failed. What good does it do to raise your children in the finest home, to give your children the finest education, to set them up for the finest career so they can meet the finest woman, the finest boy, have the finest marriage, live the finest life they possibly can, to someday die and to be in the finest casket, have the finest funeral and the finest grave around, only to stand before a God they did not know and love. No good at all. Home is where the love for God is nurtured. And Moses gives some specific instructions. Look at verse number six. He says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. I got the joy, 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 joy. All right, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What he's saying is you're going to teach your children. Teach your children. This may surprise you, but the primary responsibility for educating children uh, is in the home. It's not the school system, and it's not the church, right? The school system's to help you educate your children. The church is to help you with the spiritual formation uh, of, of the life of your children. But you are to teach your children. God intended for the home to be the university of life. Number three, write this down. That's why parents are mentors. Home is the child's first classroom. They learn right and wrong and up and down, and they learn that actions have consequences. At least we hope they do. Personal responsibility, how to be kind and courteous, how to submit to authority, how to be obedient, how to practice selflessness. Home is where you learn two of the most important things anyone can learn. Look at this next slide. How to love God and how to love others. That's taught in the home, man. In the home. You learn things in the family you don't learn anywhere else. You learn how to talk, how to walk. You learn how to eat. You learn how to burp. You learn how to use the remote. All the important things in life, man. You learn it in the home. But the most important thing is the truth of God's word. Look in your notes at Ephesians 6 verse 4. It says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. That's where we're coming up short. Now, this is not an anti-men sermon, but men need to step up and start training their children in the admonition of the Lord. Mama, if he won't do it, you do it, and God will bless it. 
And let's just pray, God, wears his backside out until he gets right with God and begins training his children in the admonition and the fear of the Lord, like God's word says. Our job as parents is three things. Look at this next slide. It's stage one is parent control. Stage two is self-control. And stage three is God control. Parent control is where you tell them what to do, right? Self-control is when they finally learn what they're supposed to be doing. And then God control is when they ask God what he wants them to do. When a parent says this, I put this in my notes so I wouldn't forget. Whenever a parent says this, it drives me crazy. I don't know about you. You might have said it. So I'm talking about you right now. Listen, when a parent says, well, I don't want to force my kids to go to church. I don't want to force them. I don't want to shove my religion down my kid's throat. You shoving broccoli down their throat. And that's nasty. Eat your broccoli. Go. <laughs> right? I, I don't want to force my religion on my ch- as if you could. Right? There's no forced converts in Christianity. You either are or you ain't. I don't want to force my religion on my children. I wish I, wish I could be so open-minded that my brain fell out. That don't make any sense. You don't listen, we are spiritual beings. You're a spiritual person. You're walking around in a shell, but you are a spirit. Right? You have a soul. And when you say, I don't want to force spiritual things on my children, whatever that means, right? I don't want to, I want them to make their own choices. You're leaving the greatest part of what makes them who they are up to the world. You're creating a vacuum and the world's going to feel it guaranteed. They ain't going to find out about Jesus accidentally. Well, if, if, if that's your attitude in your home, that's the only way they're going to meet Jesus is accidentally. You have to know that as a parent, you got to do a couple of things. And when you say, I don't want to force anything on my kid. Listen, what you're saying, which is, I hate this one. Can you tell? What he's saying is this. God is an option. He's optional. He's not necessary. All right? You got to put pants on to go to school, but you don't need Jesus to save your soul. You got to take a bath after dinner, but you don't need God to forgive you. You don't need a relationship with the creator of the universe. Right? You need to know how to drive, but you don't really know how to live. We're leaving the greatest part of what makes a person a person up to the universe. And if God is good, hopefully he'll speak into that life. But I'm telling you right now, if that's your attitude as a parent, you're living in sin and open rebellion against God, who clearly teaches you otherwise in Scripture. God is not an option. Teaching your children values, character, and God's truth is part of your job. Okay, what do you, maybe you're thinking, well, what do I teach my kids? What do I, how do I start? Well, Moses here is talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about God's law here. Ten Commandments is a great place to start. Just start with the Ten Commandments, the basic truths. Get you a little story Bible. Read the Bible to your babies, right? Maybe they're grown and it's too late. Get one anyway. Read to them anyway. I don't care. I heard about a dad that was having devotions with his, with his kids, and he was trying to teach them about the Ten Commandments. And he was going through them, and he said, Now, kids, the commandment, honor your father and mother. That teaches you how to treat your parents. Right? And the kids, okay. And then he says, now, do we have a commandment that, that talks about how you should treat your brother and sisters? And little junior down there said, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> well, listen, at least he's getting it. Sometimes we don't get it exactly right. But if you want to build a strong family, uh, if you want to give your home what it needs, you need to be teaching Christ in the home. And a lot of men, they don't do this because they're afraid they're going to get it wrong. Well, I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't want to mess up. I, I don't want to lead them astray. Well, listen, it's better for you to teach them a couple of things that aren't 100% accurate in the Bible than to te- uh, the world to teach them everything. 
You don't have to be a theologian. Let me tell you this. Any day of them, what you can do is every time you eat, and I hope God convicts you to do this, every time you eat, you can open your Bible and say, what day is today? What day is today? Today is the 10th. You can open up to Proverbs 10 and read that proverb and talk about it with your family. All of a sudden, you're the family theologian. There's enough, and there's the exact number of Proverbs as days in the month. You can do it. Read the Word of God to your family. Read it when they get older. Read it with the family. Acts 16, verse 34. Man, you'll never know this joy if you don't. It says, it talks about that jailer. It said he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The greatest gift you'll ever give your children is not a will, not a living trust, and not a truckload of money. Look at this next slide. The greatest gift is to be a godly parent. And that's what they need. Now, if you're single, again, this message is just for you. Every single one of these points, we could have took the word parent out and put Christian. Christian is a, a model, is a mentor, is a mirror. Every single one of them. But maybe right now you find yourself in a lonely place. Man, that's why we have the church. It's what the church is supposed to be. Look at this verse, Psalm 68, verse 6. God's word says, God sets the solitary in families. The church. And often, you're as connected to the church as you want to be. Those who desire to be connected are. Those who desire not to be connected aren't. Listen, you don't have to, you know, have to, as a parent to be a model, a mirror, a mentor. But I don't know what shape your family's in. I don't know what kind of state your marriage is in. I don't know how things are going for you, the struggles that you're facing, or how dark things might seem. But I know the road back begins with the blueprints. And God has clearly given his blueprints in his word because our God is a good God and he has not left you alone and he has not left you in the dark but you have to trust him and follow his blueprints and not yours let's pray every head bowed every eye closed father God thank you for your word Lord I just just enjoyed this so much Deuteronomy chapter 6 Lord just a reminder who I'm supposed to be as a father who we're supposed to be as a family who we're supposed to be as a church Lord, I just pray that you'll speak to your people. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. No, look, assume a posture of prayer for just a moment. Pray for those around you. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you're saved. You know that you're a believer. You've settled. You've done that business with God. But maybe somehow, some way, in some area of your life, you know that you've strayed from God's blueprint, his plan for your life. Or maybe simply you're a... Uh, maybe you're single, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're a dad or a grandparent, and you know in your heart, you're like, God, I want to be that model that you've called me to be. I want to be that mentor. Lord, I want to be that mirror. I want to reflect your love to people around me. Lord, I want to be a reflection of what you've done in my life for your glory and for the good of others. If that's your prayer right now, I just want to pray with you. Will you slip your hand up for just a second? All over the sanctuary. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father God, Lord, I just pray again that we will follow your example, your leading, your teaching. God, that we'll kind of just forget about what the world says. Lord, we'll kind of forget about uh, the, the pressures that we have on us that are pulling us in so many different directions. God, but that we'll focus clearly in on you and your plan and your desire for us and for our families and for our homes. God, that we will be a model of your love for the church, a mentor, a mirror. God, that we'll raise up a godly generation, saved and redeemed and unashamed, that love you passionately 
And Lord, that those that come after them will love you and, and serve you. God, just give us a generational mindset that the things that we do today, we willingly sacrifice for the future. And that you would bless that. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed for some, uh, just a moment. Some of you this morning, if you're being honest, you've, we're talking about the blueprint, the foundation. You've never really gotten connected with God's blueprint for your life. You've never truly surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's why you've been doing it your way. And that's why you see the results that you've had. You've been operating on your own plans, your own agenda. You need to trust Christ. Look up for just a second. I mean, what, is, what do I know right now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what is God's will for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room? What do I know? Look at this next verse. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Referring to God, it says, Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God desires that everyone would be saved. All men would be redeemed and saved. And maybe there's complications for you at home. Maybe there's stress in the marriage, stress in the family. Maybe it's so dysfunctional, it's, it's broken. You've got to go back to the blueprints. The reason why you've gotten to where you're at is because you've been doing it on your own. You've never been forgiven. You've never been saved. You've never been redeemed. And until this relationship is right, how can you expect all these relationships to be right? They never will be. You need to get that one right. Let's pray one more time. Listen, you're here this morning, man. You know that you've never prayed to receive Christ, but God is speaking to you through his word, and you know that you need to be saved, that you need to get off your plans, your agenda, and get on God's will for your life. And his will for your life is to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He loves you. He did everything necessary for you to be saved. That's why Jesus came, lived that perfect life, went to the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for us right now victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And he offers that to you as a free gift. He wants to save you. That's his will. He desires, deeply desires for you to be saved. Will you trust him right now? Listen, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for you. Maybe right there in your seat right now, you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, just like we prayed just a moment ago, I will not call you out. I will not drag you forward. I just want to pray with you. And so, so I could pray with you. If you want to pray and receive Christ right now, would you slip your hand up for just a second? God bless you. Right there in your seat. Maybe just pray a prayer like this. It's not the prayer. It's you doing business with God, humbling yourself before this God who loves you so much. And you can simply confess, say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Lord, I sin, but I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, your sacrifice for my salvation. God, your death, burial, and resurrection for me, all of me, I surrender to you. Save me, Jesus. Listen, you pray that prayer. The Bible's clear that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on his name this morning?